let's just jump right in and pick up in Revelation chapter 10, and we'll be reading the whole chapter, which is only 11 verses. And it starts like this. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, his leg like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot was on the land. He called out with a loud voice, like a lying roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. And there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's pray. Father, help. Uh, help me to just uh, give your words, give your lesson, give your message to the people of God tonight. Um, and then we pray. Amen. Uh, reading that, I need God's help. I also needed help with several commentaries because if you're like me, you read it for the first time and went, say what? What are we talking about here? Because that was a little bit confusing. Anybody picked that up the first time they read it? Anybody in here way smarter than I am? All right, perfect. I still imagine some of y'all are smarter. Just that, that, That's a bit of a stretch right there. We're, we're, we're in the middle of Revelation if you're just joining us tonight. Uh, so I'm not randomly preaching a passage out of Revelation 10 for no reason. Um, this morning, I was pre I filled in at Black Walnut for a pastor, and a lot of times when we fill in, we can preach the same passage we're preaching that night, but I said, there's no way I can show up at Black Walnut and preach Revelation chapter 10 with no context at all, so I ended up preaching a different passage this morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 10, we're in the middle of what are the uh, seven things happening right now? Somebody shouted out, the what? Seven trumpets, and how many have already happened? Six have happened, and there's one more about to happen. You would think that after six comes seven, but there's not a seven after six. There's an interlude after six. And it's the same thing that happened in the what? What happened before the trumpets? The seals happened, right? And so when there were the seals happening, there were six seals that were talked about. Then there was an interlude, and then the seventh seal came. So the same pattern is repeating. And what Tim has told us in the past is that this, these uh, four different things that are happening in groups of seven are not individual things, but they're the same things, and different examples being given. All right, so we're in the middle of the trumpets right now, and we hit this interlude in chapter 7. Um, and so uh, in chapter 7, Casey preached that one a few weeks back, and uh, he talked about the seals there, and he talked about how in the interlude, the believers are sealed, and he talks about this 
the 12,000 from here, the 12,000 from here, and equaled up to 144,000. Uh, some sects, some cults would take that to literally mean there's only 144,000 that are getting into heaven. Um, they are also a sect and teach gibberish and hogwash. So do not buy that. Uh, if you listen to Casey and believe what he said, he said that these seals were, uh, I'm not sure if he used this term, but other people use this term. It's the international church. Did you use that term, Casey? The international church? Come on, man. Are you, are you not with us right now? This guy, this guy. So the international church, what that really means is what Casey did say. I went back and watched it last night, Casey. Uh, but it basically said, uh, this, this is all the believers. This is all the believers. And essentially the numbers that they arrived to, uh, it's going to be a lot of them. That was essentially what it meant. The universal church. So other people call it the international church. Um, so the universal church, it's all the believers that are going to, that are sealed in Christ, that are sealed by God. And so he told us that that seal meant that we were marked by Jesus, we were given the Holy Spirit, we were declared holy by God, and we were set apart for his service. All right. Now, so we get to this interlude in, uh, in Revelation, Revelation 10, and uh, it's, it's the same concept, right? There's an interlude, and he's explaining a little bit more what's happening. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, conclusion of what would be a conclusion paper, and then we'll go back and say what that means. Does that make sense? I'm going to give you the end first. That way I won't mess it up too bad. So this is what one uh, commentary wrote. He said, this interlude dramatizes God's patient delay in inflicting his full and final wrath, and it ensures believers that God will protect his own through the coming uh, traumas. So there's a, uh, an angel that comes down, and he gives this picture. Let's jump into it for a minute. The first thing that we have here in Revelation 10 is there's a mighty angel and seven thunders that it's talking about. Um, seven thunders sounds like some kind of wrestling group or team that gets together. I mean, it sounds like something awesome is about to happen, right? It's a great name. I'm going to claim it. So if anybody wants to join up on my wrestling team, we'll, we'll start it later. So we have this mighty angel, and the first debate becomes, is this angel Jesus or is this a different angel? And there's different people who arrive on different, uh, different sides of this that I both like. I truly enjoy reading some Warren Wiersbe, and Warren Wiersbe believes that this angel right here is Jesus. And I actually disagree with him on this one. Um, I think that it's not Jesus. I think that it's a different angel. It's another mighty angel. And I think most likely it's the angel Gabriel. Um, there's several people who just say it's a different random one, or it could be Gabriel. Um, one of the reasons I think that it's not Jesus is, uh, is two things. One of them is uh, he's, there's a passage, part of this passage later on. He's, he's uh, making like a promise or swearing an oath to heaven, and like Jesus wouldn't need to do that. And uh, so I think that it, the evidence mostly lies that it comes through that it's an angel and that it's not, uh, it's not Jesus. Um, and if it's angel, uh, if it's an angel, it leans to who being Gabriel, I believe, because of uh, the different patterns in Scripture. If you go back to the book of Daniel, it's describing the angel Gabriel, and it's using some of the same kind of language. The reason they believe that it's, um, that it's Jesus is the way that it's describing who, what he looks like. Um, his face was like the sun. Uh, just that, that sounds like the presence of God, but Gabriel had been in the presence of God, and so it also described him. Um, and also, like, uh, Gabriel also had a pattern of appearing to other people throughout Scripture. And so this would have been, like, the fourth person that Gabriel had appeared to in this way. Uh, he also appeared a couple times in the, uh, the birth of Jesus story. Um, so I believe fully that this is uh, the angel Gabriel is what I would hedge my bets on. 
but I'm not a betting man, and I don't have to have everything right to know that it's, I'm pretty close in what's happened right here. Uh, so if you arrive somewhere different than that, that's okay. Uh, come to LT, and we'll, we'll argue about it. Um, we're going to put uh, Matthew against, uh, against you over here, and we'll have like a battle going back and forth at LT. You want some confrontation, so we're going to get it with Matthew tonight. So Matthew, if you want to pick a side, you can go ahead and say it now so she has to be the other side. <laughs> um, so in this, uh, we have this angel coming down, and he's a mighty angel. His size is really, really big. I mean, he's uh, depicted as being super big. He's got one foot in the sand, one foot on the ocean. Um, you know, you could technically do that, I guess, as my size standing in front of the ocean, but that's not the image that it's creating. He's creating this image that he's, it's, he's massive. He's massive, and he, one of the reasons we can back that up is it says it three different times in these 11 verses. He keeps referring to its size uh, here in Revelation 10. And uh, when he speaks, it says that he shouts like a lion, shouts like a lion. Um, this is the only time that this imagery is also used in Revelation. Um, and this is basically saying, you know, he's speaking loud. Um, have any of you ever seen a lion up close? They're fascinating. Um, several years ago, we were doing this little, uh, we had it in C3, and the care go to the back, or is she still around back here? We took the kids to the uh, conservators park, or whatever the place is called, a few years ago, and we got really, really close to lions. We were literally like this close to a lion, and uh, there were like two fences in between us, so it wasn't like it was like crazy or anything. There's two fences in between us, the lions right up to one, we're right up to the next one. But in this one spot, there were like 15 lions hanging around, and they're in this big, big old cage, and they're on different platforms. They're all laying around, and they start like grunting back and forth to each other. They were going, <clears throat> and it was like 10 of them doing But you could feel the vibrations of that in the ground, and they were not even roaring. They were just doing a little, <clears throat> their mouth was barely open. It, it, it fascinated me. I'm still, I want to go back to that place so bad just to see that thing again. It fascinated me. Their voice were not roaring. They were just barely doing anything, but you could feel it in the ground. Imagine a lion's full roar. Can you picture that? So this angel speaks, and it's like a lion roaring. What does it mean? It's basically painting the picture. Listen up. It's, it's, it's the immediacy of this situation that you need to listen. It's like when you have your kids and you put daddy voice on them. It's like when you bust out the first, middle, and last names. You saying something, you best listen. Because if you don't listen, Hayden Grace Carver, there are consequences coming. Will Thomas, I'm looking at you. Hey. They know I'm joking right now. I'm, mm. My mom always had, she, my mom would give us like the stink eye when she was, we were growing up, but she was terrible at it. She had the worst stink eye in the whole world, and she would do it, and we start laughing at her. She goes, you know I'm serious. We know, but that's a really bad stink eye right there. Still, though, we didn't mess with Mama. When she gave warning, you watch out for the warning. I'll tell you about my mom's one of her warnings a little bit coming up. Mama didn't play. But this line is shouting, and it's like putting the daddy voice on there. Listen, listen, pay attention. This, this is important. And then we get to the seven thunders. This is the only time that it's mentioned in Scripture. And uh, it's talked about, like, we know what he's talking about, and we have no idea what he's talking about. There are a few people who are going to have an opinion on this. Uh, my, like, the, my favorite opinion that I read said, we don't know, nobody does, but it was awesome. That's literally what he said in the commentary. I was like, this is, this is fun. We have no idea what these seven thunders were. Um, but we do know, like, if you look at just the pattern of how thunder is used in Scripture, uh, it's used a lot of times for uh, language concerning the end of the world. 
and it's used, uh, it's used in Revelation 8 that way. It's used in Revelation 16 that way. And so you can believe that it's something concerning the end of the world. Again, being that it's in Revelation, that also is a context clue as it's leading up toward all of this right before Revelation, the seventh uh, trumpet, which is talking about the final and the conclusion and God's final judgment. So we can assume that it's something along the ideas of, um, of thunder, of the end of the world. We have no idea exactly what it's talking about. Why not? Because there was a voice that came down to Paul and said, hey, here's this revelation and seal it away, put it in your mind, don't tell anybody about it. Awesome. That's great news. It's fun to preach this sermon when I have no idea what he's talking about, right? Thanks, Tim, for leaving on this note. He picked a great day to leave. Maybe it was intentional. I don't know. Maybe he got Barry's Grove to plan their homecoming the right day so he didn't have to teach this one. No, um, I'm just joking because we, we don't know, but I think there's a reason that we don't know. Why don't we know? I think uh, God does not reveal all of his plans to us. But God does have a pattern of revealing his plans to the prophets. All throughout scripture, he's revealing his plans. If you go through the Old Testament prophets, Micah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, he says that he's constantly, he will reveal his plans to the prophets. And several times in the conclusion of those things, it says that it happened like he had revealed to the prophets. So God's pattern of revealing his plans to the prophets is continued right here uh, in Revelation. And we don't know exactly what is happening. We don't know what's going to happen, but... We can believe and look at God's pattern and go, whatever he said will come to pass. It will come to pass. So the next step we have right here is the angel then makes this announcement. And what's his announcement? No more delay. There's going to be no more delay. What this basically boils down to is that God's purposes will be brought to a climatic, climatic conclusion. I shouldn't have chose a tongue twister there. It's coming to a head and it's coming quick. So if you look at things that are happening in, in the first seven uh, uh, trumpets, right, it's kind of delaying, it's kind of carrying on. We kind of know there's a final judgment coming, and it's being paused, being paused, being paused, it's being delayed. It hadn't happened yet. When's it going to happen? Even the disciples in the New Testament are going, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? 2,000 years later, we're still saying, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And it says once this timeline starts, and these trumpets start going. There's going to be, it's going to seem like a delay. It's going to seem like it's being held back. We're going to be anticipating it. Things are bad. Things are bad. What's going on? And then there's going to come a time when that seventh one comes, and it's coming quick. And it's coming hard, and it's coming fast. Uh, I'm not a really big NBA fan right now. If you want to watch any NBA basketball, the playoffs is the season to do it. So I've been watching a little more clips and stuff. I like some old-school basketball better. Uh, pro ball, man, I love watching some documentaries and things on Larry Bird. Uh, one, he's got the best NBA nickname, Larry Legend. I mean, that's just classic and amazing right there. Um, maybe not the best, but among the best. And, uh, but Larry Bird was a machine, man. That dude was all over the place. Uh, and he was known as being one of the best junk talkers of all time in basketball. And uh, one of my favorites, he walked into the locker room. He's getting ready for a three-point contest. All these guys are in there warming up. He's looking at all the pros. He's got his jumper on. He comes in and says, well, boys, which one of you guys are coming in second? And without taking his jumper off, he walks out there and wins the three-point contest with all his warm-up still on. But there was one game that I, I love the story of with Larry Bear was going around, and uh, he was basically calling his shots before the game. So he would literally, like, or in the middle of a play, so a guy's defending him, and he looks at the guy and says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he does it and makes the basket. I mean, it's like 
really brave and really, really arrogant. Most of the time in basketball, you're trying to fool somebody and trick them, make them think you're going that way, go that way instead. And Larry Bird was like, I'm going to do exactly this. And then he did exactly that and made all the plays. All right. he, was, he was teasing. He was taunting them. The, the best version of that is at the end of the game, there was a, uh, he told a guy what he was going to do, and he was shooting for the game-winning shot. And the ball gets passed in. He does exactly what he told the guy he was going to do, and he pulls up and makes the game-winning shot. But right before the ball was inbounded, the other coach called timeout. And so the ball goes back out of bounds, all right, and then he gets to, he got to do the whole play over, and Larry Bird walks out, looks at the guy, says, I'm going to do the exact same thing. And then he goes out and does it again. That's just impressive right there. It's funny, right? Larry Bird was arrogant, and he was cocky, and he was basically saying to the guy, you can't stop me. I'm better than you, and even if you know what I'm doing, there's nothing you can do about it. God has given us warnings right here, but it is absolutely not in the same vein as Larry Bird. God is giving us a warning so we can be ready for what's coming. God is letting us know what is about to happen so we can shift courses if we need to. And guess what? We need to. All of us do, right? We all need to shift that course. We have a warning going. This is coming. Especially the guy flashing his headlights going, there's a cop up ahead. Slow down. You know you need to slow down. Slow down. We need that warning. We need that warning. And in, in this, is talking about a mystery over and over again. And there's a lot of difference in what we typically think of as a mystery that's not meant to be solved versus a mystery in the Bible. And the context of that is that basically it's God's plans that are unknown that are slowly being revealed. They're being made known. And so these mysteries that he's got going, his plans will be made known in end times. All right. So then we got basically the angel saying, no more delay. And he's basically saying, prep yourselves, guys. Prep yourselves. What we have here in this whole idea of uh, in Revelation 10 is all the trumpets before this, it's looking at a heavenly scene that is happening, right? There's a heavenly scene taking place, and he's letting us know what's going on. He's letting us know what's going on in heaven before the end of time, before the final judgment. But when we get to Romans 10, the whole thing is a shift from heaven to earth, and he's talking about what's happening down here on earth. Does that make sense? Because we're looking at the the ocean, where he's standing at, one foot in the sea, one foot on the land. So what's happening is that this is here on earth, and so these are words that apply to us so that we know what we can do. In the earlier parts of Revelation, it's happening, and it's what's happening there so we understand. But there's nothing that we can do about that. That's what God is saying is going to happen. Right here, we have a chance to see what's happening and respond to it. This is what applies to us, and John is in the scene of what's happening here, and he's a part of it, and he wasn't before. So in this spot where John is at, the third thing happens and basically says that the little scroll is eaten by John. That's strange. I always tell my kids not to eat paper and stuff, to keep random objects out of their mouth. And no matter what, Will won't stop licking random things. So to sit here in Revelation, talk about a scroll being eaten. A couple things about that scroll. The scroll is not the same thing as a scroll in Revelation chapter 5. It's a different scroll. That scroll was one that only who was worthy to open up. Jesus, he's the only one worthy to open that one. And so right here in Revelation 5, in Revelation 10, the scroll is being handed to John. He is worthy of holding this scroll. It's something different. In fact, the word that he uses right here in uh, Revelation 10 is a word that uh, uh, John made up 
because there's no other word to describe it. He, uh, the, the people think that he wanted to be confused for the same scroll as what was in Revelation 5. So this is something completely different. And they also signify that by talking about how it's a little scroll. So we have this little scroll. Um, so we don't know what this scroll said either, right? We have no idea what this scroll has said. Uh, but basically this, something, this scroll, looking at the pattern of what's happening... Uh, God spoke to Jesus, then through the angel, then to John, and it says later that John's going to prophesy again, right? So this is the pattern that's basically talking to the churches. That's what it ultimately boils down to. This scroll is dealing with uh, stuff for the churches. And as weird as eating the scroll seems, it's not the first time it happens in the Bible. It also happens in the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel eats the scroll also, and the description of it that says that it tastes like honey when it's in your mouth, and when it gets to your belly, it becomes bitter. Um, it's some, one of the other commentators said that it's like uh, you could say that uh, it's like he had heart, uh, heartburn afterwards, basically. It doesn't sit very well inside of you. Um, I think that I'm allergic to jelly beans. Um, I start eating them, and they feel great to my mouth. And when I finish the entire large bag, it feels bitter to my stomach. It also might be that I shouldn't eat a pound and a half of jelly beans in one sitting. So I've been warned before, but they were like the really good Starburst kind of jelly beans. They weren't like the regular jelly beans, and those flavor kind are amazing, and it's really hard to stop eating those. It's going to taste good in your mouth. It's going to be good when you first take it in, but it's going to go down, and it's not going to sit very well. So what is he taking in right here? He's taking in the prophecy. I think he's taking in the word of God. He's taking in, if you go back to Ezekiel, he was, take, he was basically going to... Uh, it was talking about the suffering that was coming to God's people in Israel at that time for Ezekiel. And I think for John, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's what's happening, the things that are coming up for the people of God that are coming soon, the suffering that they're about to endure, that's what the warning is about. That's what the scroll was about. So John is receiving this message, and if you look at the pattern of it, it basically says, hey, you're going to take this, you're going to eat it, it's going to taste great in your mouth, it's going to make your stomach hurt. And then it says that John takes it, then he eats it, and then his stomach hurt. All right, so it's not like unnecessarily repeating itself, but it's basically saying he experienced it. So we don't know the exact time frame that happens right here, but it's not just a few words that are being said. It took Paul time or uh, uh, John time to eat it, take it in, and digest it. I think what it's really doing is it's it's preparing Ezekiel in in the book of Ezekiel, now preparing John the book of Revelation that you're going to consume this for yourself first. And then you're going to deliver it to the people. If you watched him as we preached through the book of Daniel, um, as he talked about something, because we, we dealt with some very heavy issues, right? I mean, it was, and he preached 95% of them, I believe. And sometimes he talked about it. You could tell in his voice that he was exhausted from the study, the deep, in-depth study of the book of Daniel. Because it was very heavy topics that he was in there. And if you ever know Tim, he's going to read and read and read everything. Um, he's already reading the books that we're going to be preaching about a year from now. He's already studying that right now. So as Tim dove super deep into this book of Daniel, his heart was burdened. His brain was full of all these different ideas because it was a lot to consume. The same way I think it's, that's what's happening right here to, uh, to John. He's taken in. He's digesting what's going to happen. And it is the word of God, and it does lead to life. But at the same time, It's heavy. It's heavy. When you prophesy to people and you tell people about their spiritual condition, 
Are they always ready to receive that word? They're not. It's tough. Preaching the word of God to people who do not want to hear the word of God is often tough. There are many prophets in the Old Testament who they tried to kill as they preached the word of God. He's saying, this is the word for God, not my word. God wants you to hear this word, and I want you to turn to God, hear what I'm saying. And he's talking to the people of God, and they reject it and want him dead. Sometimes preaching the word of God is burdensome. It is. And it might cost you relationships. Ian and I were hanging out Friday. I gave this illustration, and I'm going to use it again, Ian. But it's basically, uh, it was a commercial uh, back in the day, because, you know, who watches commercials anymore? And we got the fast-forward button, right? And so uh, it's basically a, a girl was on the end of a pier, end of a dock over a pond. And she's standing there, like real somber, kind of just looking around, and she's holding a life preserver in her hand. And she's sitting there kind of looking down, and about four, five, six feet in front of her, one of her friends is there, another young person, they're just drowning. And they're trying to fight for their life to get out of the water. They're screaming help as much as they can. They can't get up, they can't get up to really clearly say help. And the person is sitting there on the dock holding a life preserver, and they won't throw it. And you're sitting there going, and you see the way they did it, it was really well done. They were like, you were sitting there going, throw it, throw the thing, just give it to them, give it to them. And the person just stands there waiting, waiting, friend drowning, friend drowning, and like the screen fades to black. And then a caption pops up and says, you know, if you have the ability to save somebody's life, wouldn't you do it? The answer is yes, of course. If this is all I had to do was simply toss this thing down, of course I would do it. It turns out to be an anti-smoking commercial, and they're basically saying, you should tell your friends to stop smoking. They're going to die of cancer. You can save their life. Of course, when I watched it, I was sitting there going, man, that's the position of believers right there. We have the hope that they need. We have the answer that they need. Why are we standing here holding a life preserver, watching someone drown, watching them suffer, watching them desperate, and not offer them the help that they need? What if I offend them? What if they don't talk to me anymore? What if I lose my job? Is God not sovereign? And did he not give us a mission and a job and a goal? Believers, God has called us to something bigger. I'm going to wrap it up with three quick points. Number one, you know what you need to know. Stop trying to guess and figure out the parts that we don't have already. There's a whole lot of people for a whole lot of years that have been telling us when the end of the world is going to come. There's a book in 1988. Anybody know the title? 88 reasons the world is going to end in 88. Guess how many copies it sold? 4.5 million. Church attendance across the United States increased. People started seeking answers. And it was going to be in September of 1988. And September came and went. And he was like, wait a minute, October 1988. It's coming next month. I was a little off. The man even went to say, if my calculations are wrong, the Bible is wrong. Yeah, pretty arrogant. He was a NASA, former NASA engineer. He was a smart guy, but he was arrogant and stupid. He might have the brains for NASA, but he completely missed the word of God, right? Matthew says, no one knows the day or the hour when it's coming. We know that part. Man, but so many people get wrapped up trying to figure that part out. You don't need to know exactly when it's coming. 
Stop worrying about things you can't control and prepare yourself for that time. Trust that God has a plan. It's going to happen as his word always happens and walk faithfully with him. Number two, proclaim the truth. It is going to be a blessing and a burden. It's going to be sweet and bitter. Proclaim the truth. It is going to encourage your soul as you proclaim the word to other people. I mean, I have the privilege of sharing with My Life Matters in, in the school twice a week. And it's always an absolute blessing for me to share God's word. Because I am walking in God's word and experience it and taking it in for myself. So in the act of preparing to teach it, I am receiving it. it that part is a blessing by itself. And then it's a blessing to the ones who hear it. A lot of you guys also get that, uh, that privilege also. But sometimes it comes with a burden. It gets flat out rejected. Rejected by kids and by parents. Parents will pull their kids out of club and they find out more things that we're teaching and walk away from it. It's the word of God. It's going to offend people. Jesus said it was going to offend people. He was hung on a cross for preaching those things. It's going to happen to us also. Don't be surprised when it comes. But be faithful in proclaiming the truth. Lastly, number three, expect delays. Expect that that's going to be the pattern of how things are going to happen. Not when we think it's going to happen, but ultimately that we trust that God has that plan going back to number one. Even though we don't know the exact time, the end is absolute and it's coming. We know it's there. So press on. Press on. I think those delays are for our sake also. God's desire is that no man shall perish. God tells us, tells us what's happening, and he's given the people a chance to respond, while he's giving us a chance to proclaim that to the people who need to respond. I think God's heart is revealed right here. Go back to how I started, and I'll wrap it up with that. This interlude dramatizes God's patient delay, patient delay in inflicting his full and final wrath, and it ensures believers that God will protect his own through the coming traumas. God's got us. Let's press into him and press into his plan. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are that you're not hiding your face from us, that you're not trying to keep yourself away from us, but that you want us to know you and you have revealed yourself through us in so many ways. God, in this book of Revelation, as you reveal yourself to us, reveal your plan to us, and you reveal how we should respond to you, Father, let us lay aside every sin that keeps us from you and let us press into you with all that we are. Let us not stop settling for the temporary things of this world, but press into the eternal. And then we pray. Amen.